Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Well, King Solomon wrote, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, in um, the first chapter of the book of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the the beginning of wisdom, of understanding, of of knowledge, of, of the ability to live wisely. Now, let me see your eyes a second. The fear of the Lord, that phrase in quotes, the fear of the Lord is the Old Testament way of saying getting saved. Getting saved, coming to faith in Jesus, repenting of our sin, placing our faith in Jesus alone for our salvation, surrendering our lives and our eternities to Him, being redeemed, re- being reborn, born again, whatever your tradition says. It is, it is that, that spiritual rebirth that comes from being reconciled to Jesus Christ, uh, to God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the Old Testament way of saying that, the fear of the Lord. So when we enter into the book of Proverbs... The danger that we have, that anyone has who studies this, whether you are a university student who studies it as some of the great literature uh, of, of humanity, uh, whether uh, uh, or you, for whatever reason, you, whether you're of the Jewish faith and you study it as part of the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, if we, the danger is coming to the book of Proverbs is kind of a God's Dear Abbey column. You know, just just words of advice on how to make life a little bit better. Now, in the book of Proverbs, that is true in part, but it is not given to you just to, here's a few nice things that might you might want to try to make life better. And if you do these things, life's going to get better for you. Now, again, that is true. The big point is he gives us this picture of what skillful living looks like so that it's... It's tasty to us. It's winsome. It's, uh, uh, yes, I'd love to be able to live that wisely in every realm of life, in my relationships, with my money, in my studies, in my job, in my marriage, in family, in friendships, and how I use my words, and on and on and on and on. Wow, I'd love to live a life like that. Good living. He gives us that picture to show us that we are inadequate and that just knowing is not enough, that we don't have the power. That's why he says, if you want this life, you got to meet Christ. This is all about knowing Jesus, chasing after Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. For in a couple of weeks, we're going to turn to chapter 8 and 9, and there we see that wisdom is with a capital W. Wisdom is personified in Proverbs and in the Bible. And if we go over to the New Testament, we find in the book of Colossians, I believe it is, that God explains what that means. He says Jesus Christ is wisdom, not has wisdom, not gives wisdom. He is wisdom, capital W. Jesus equals, He is wisdom. So we are not pursuing a better way of living when we come to the book of Proverbs. We're pursuing Jesus, we're chasing Jesus, we're chasing a person. And in Him, He transforms our heart and turns us into the kind of people who can live life in this fashion. 
So I want to caution us as we go through this journey not to look at the book of Proverbs the wrong way. This is about the gospel. Well, we're going to need it in a particular area in this next month, for we are in tax season. Ah, blessings. So glad you brought that up, Pastor. Makes me feel so good. Tax season. In fact, one month from today, 15th of March, we come to the 15th of April, and it's the deadline for filing our state and federal income uh, taxes. And oh boy, it's just wonderful. We all start singing that hymn, Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, as Jesus said. Right? Happy feet. No, no. But we're, all, aren't we, we're always having to think about our money, are we not? We are. How to get it. How to earn it. How to keep it. How to spend it. How to, give, how to give it, what to do with it. what We're always having to think about our money and what to do when we don't have enough. As we think about our money, many of us get antsy about it. And in fact, the passage we're going to come to today tells us to do precisely that. Get antsy. And that's when I, if you leave here today and somebody says, what was the sermon about? I said, my pastor told us to get antsy about our money. So turn to Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Proverbs, halfway through the Bible right here, Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Now, we come here because we don't naturally know. No one is born knowing what to do with money. Someone has to teach us. And God is a good teacher here. You read this along silently as I read it aloud. It's on the screen. This is God's Word. Go to the ant. Get antsy, what He says here. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest. And your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. This is God's Word. Here in the book of Proverbs, we find King Solomon teaching his coming-of-age son about the things that matter in life. Uh, about God. About knowing God. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all this. The one who can change our hearts and place within them His wisdom for skillful living in all of these areas. And in our passage today, this wise father teaches his son a valuable lesson about, our, about possessions and about poverty, about possessions and about poverty and how easy it is and how, what a short journey it is from where we sit today to poverty. You say, well, that never happened to me. Oh, yes, anyone who studied uh, how poverty works, the, the dynamics of poverty would know. Every one of us in this room, we're just about three steps away, three circumstances happening to us that are outside of our control, and we are destitute. We're not in control. We're not in control. And so um, he, he talks about possessions and he talks about poverty here. And he's teaching his son. Now, for the first time in the book of Proverbs, he, he teaches his son a positive lesson from a negative example. And he turns from addressing his son to turning to address another human being that's a lazy man, who's a slacker. He calls him a slacker. Uh, how many of you have Bible translations that call him a sluggard. Let me see your hands. Uh, it's the picture of a slug. You know, those big, how many of you guys are from the Northwest? You got those big slugs, those big snails? 
That's the picture. Just oozing along, you know. He's, this is the picture of, of, of cold molasses in your refrigerator pouring out of the bottle. I mean, it's just you sluggard, you slacker, you lazy bones, uh, you procrastinator. And so uh, God, in His Word, reserves some of His most sarcastic and even mocking language for lazy people. He doesn't hold back here. And he just, so Solomon turns and says, Slacker, go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Uh, Now, so who's he referring to? Well, in verses 1 through 5 that we studied last week, if you put it in reverse and go back five verses, you'll find where uh, he was teaching him the lesson about managing money where he said, whatever you do, don't ever co-sign for a loan. Don't ever guarantee a loan for anybody. Well, he seems to be addressing now the person who asked for help with the loan. The person who didn't have enough, didn't have the ability, didn't have the resources to have all that they need. And so it seems like he turns to him and says, don't be asking me to co-sign for a loan. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe his ways. Uh, The father teaches his son this way. Now you can be, you and I can become very wise in, in the realm of work and our wealth in terms of possessions and poverty uh, by doing what he says here, by simply observing creatures that God created. Ants. Take a look at this in verse 6. Go to the ant. It's interesting. He doesn't send the lazy man to school. He doesn't send him to Dave Ramsey. He doesn't have him enroll in the London School of Economics. He doesn't get, send him to his best financial planner. He says, listen, you'd be better off just going to a bug. I mean, let's start there. Let's start there. You, I mean, you get, listen. You see, we're we're so we're a proud people, and it's always killing us. He said, "Now this is not beneath you. Go observe the ant." Now he's referring to most likely the harvester ant. There are over ten thousand different types of ants in the world. By the way, we learn a lot about God by observing nature. He tells him to observe the ant. The observing is hard. Uh, I, I am in a, uh, a, a line of work where we were taught to teach the Scriptures, and the first thing we do is, is what's called observation, to properly interpret the Scriptures. And I'm a, I'm a, those of you who know me know I'm a big picture person. I'm 30,000 foot, you know, and just I don't naturally see the details of things. And it's quite a discipline to make me stop and observe. Uh, but our... They taught us in uh, seminary, for example, Robert, you might pull this in some of your uh, classes teaching guys to study the Bible. Um, Dr. Howard Hendricks was famous at Dallas Seminary for when uh, men and women would come into his How to Study the Bible class. He would say, uh, first day of class, open your Bibles to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. He said, now... Uh, tomorrow, I want you to come back with a list of 39 things that this passage says. Not what it means, not what you're wondering, not, not your ponderings, it, just what it says. 39 different things, class dismissed. Everybody goes, hey, five minutes of class, this is going to be a breeze. They came back the second day and uh, with their lists all ready to, uh, to show all the things that they observed from the passage. And he says, Tomorrow, I want you to come back with 39 new observations from the same passage class dismissed. Okay, you know, half the class was sweating at 
30. So 39 new ones. Okay. Third day of class. You guessed it. Uh, tomorrow, come back with 39 additional observations from the uh, sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. And what you do is, as you look and observe, is to focus your eyes with the intent of seeing what's there and looking long enough until it, you begin to learn the lessons. And that's what he says to the slacker here. Observe uh, the ant. Now, this ant was uh, common in Palestine. Uh, this is called the harvester ant because during harvest they would frequently see them pulling entire heads of grain along into their colony for the winter. The harvester ant. Everybody knew what the harvester ants were in Palestine. God often teaches us lessons from nature. If Again, if you'll look back up at verse 5 of chapter 6, he's already used the example of the gazelle and used the example of the bird. Uh, God has, has, has said that He reveals Himself in creation. If you want to learn a lot about the God of the Bible, you can learn much about Him, His character, uh, and how to know Him without ever opening a Bible. In fact, in Psalm 19, He describes uh, all that can be known about Him just simply by observing creation. In Romans chapter 1, He says you can know enough about God to know that you're responsible to Him for your sin and you need to come to faith in Christ. So you see that person, that proverbial person, what about that person who's never heard about Jesus? What about him? You know, how could God, how could God not be fair with him? Here's the deal. That person doesn't exist. Never has. Scripture say in Romans, am I close, Robert? In Romans chapter 1, he's a Roman scholar over here. Uh, God says, I reveal enough about who I am and the, and the need for a Savior that people are responsible to respond to me for their sins, whether any human being has ever told them the gospel or not. So that sounds miraculous. I don't know if I can believe that. Hey, I believe Jesus got up from the cotton-picking dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, if I believe that, I don't have any trouble believing anything else God might decide to do. You can learn much by observing nature. Well, he says to the slacker, go observe the ant. Now, he's called a slacker. Again, a slug, the Bible calls him a sluggard, a lazy man, a sloth, a procrastinator. Uh, here's Webster's definition of procrastinate. You ready? It means to put off intentionally and habitually to put off intentionally and habitually the doing of something that should be done. It's not just putting something off. It's the intentional, on purpose, habitual lifestyle of putting off what should be done. And so what he's teaching the slacker here is this. If you're going to put off anything, put off your procrastination. That's what he's saying. Let's, let's talk about putting off your procrastination, your habit, your lifestyle of procrastination. A slacker habitually puts off what should be done. Now, um, there's a little bit of procrastinator in all of us, isn't there? Mm, that was a good murmur. Mm. I, I said, uh, there, there, there is in me. He's down in there. He shows up every now and then. Uh, but, it, it, but it may be in different areas of our life. It might not be. Here he's talking to his son about our money, our finances, and possessions, but it applies to all areas of our, our lives. It might, we might procrastinate and put off what should be done with our money 
or for our money, but we also might procrastinate with our physical health. My physician's in the room today. He's a good one. He keeps checking on me, and uh, he helps motivate me to keep doing the things that should be done to make sure I stay on the planet as long as God intends me to. Now, I know this is bad theology, but you know I don't want to die suddenly and go to heaven and show up and God look at me and say, oh, what are you doing here? You know, you don't either. You don't either. Now, he knows everything, and that's not the way it works, but it's still funny to think about. Uh, and so, so it could be that you procrastinate in doing the things that you should do with your physical health. It might be uh, in your relationship with your spouse or your kids or our parents or our neighbors or our friends. It might be spiritual procrastination. I mean, we habitually put off doing the things that should be done in order to know and love God and grow ever closer to Him. And so uh, I've discovered that people will admit almost anything about themselves ex- except that they're lazy. I mean, I've been in, in Bible study groups. I've been in big groups of, where Christians gather for Bible study and prayer, and people just admit all kind of... I admit I have sexually immoral. I confess that I, I, uh, have a, a, I'm, I'm, I abuse drugs and alcohol. Uh, that's, um, that's my problem. Uh, I, I admit that I have a bad temper, have a short fuse. In fact, our problem is we're kind of proud of that sometimes, right? Um, just tell it like it is. Not really. You tell it like you think it might is. And so, uh, so, so uh, but, but we, and they'll admit all kinds of things. But, you know, I've never heard anybody in a prayer group or in a time of even one-on-one with me in my pastor's study when they're talking about deep things, they say, you know, Pastor, I'm a sluggard. I'm lazy. I'm lazy. And yet uh, one writer says this, laziness is one of the great underrated sins. <laughs> and that's what God says here. And it really affects our money. Uh, but there's a little bit of it in all of us. And so we need to pay attention to this. The good news is God has enabled us a way to put off our procrastination. And here it is. He says we can do so by observing the ants. Go to the ants. Uh, he says in verse 6, observe its ways and become wise. Become wise. And you'll do so if you'll learn. If you do observe the ants, you'll learn several things. Ready? This is where you start taking notes. Here's the first one. Jot this down. You will learn the importance of self-leadership. You'll learn the importance of self-leadship. Verse 7 says that the ants do their work without leader, administrator, or ruler. They don't have a boss. They don't have a manager. They don't have a CEO. They don't have a mama or a daddy or a teacher or a professor or the warden. Tell, now you get up and do, now it's time to do this. You do that. You do, they don't, they don't, nothing. They're, they are, they are, in, it's in them. They do what should be done when it should be done uh, to get the work done. Uh, they are they are industrious. They get after it. They and, and you know the tough. Many of you lead people. You lead life groups. You lead teams at work. Some of you are in the military and you lead units in the military uh, departments in in um, in academia. Some of you are in in uh, colleges and you're over. You're a dean or, or whatever. Uh, you know, it's tough leading people, but the toughest person you'll find to ever lead is you. The, ter- the, the most difficult person for me to manage is me. I am my biggest challenge. 
and you are your biggest challenge. But what we find when we, when we study the ants is that they are self-motivated. They don't need external motivation to do. Well, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Do you, do you have to have somebody else getting you going to do what needs to be done in any area of life? Certainly in the area of, of work and your wealth and your possessions. Then that's, that's a heart problem. That's not a knowledge problem. That's a heart. Something's wrong with your heart. You need somebody to change your heart to enable you to move and get done what needs to be done. Well, the second thing you'll learn as we observe the ants that'll help us put off our procrastination is this. You'll learn that your work is a calling from God. You'll learn that your work is work. Look in uh, verses uh, 7 once again. He says, uh, verse 7 and 8, it prepares its provisions, it gathers its food. Actually, in the English Standard Version and the Young's Literal Translation and uh, several other translations, it says, listen, listen, ladies, all you females, listen to this. It says, she prepares her provisions. It says, she gathers. By the way, this is one of the reasons, some of you say, how in the world could you believe that there's any authority in a document that's at, uh, over 2,000 years old? Some of it written 3,000 years ago. Some of it written 2,000 years ago. I mean, why do you think, why do you think there's any authority there? How, why is it legitimate? This is one more reason, uh, just a little reason, that we say the Bible is authoritative. For many years before the formal discipline of uh, myrmecology, which is... If you want to get a Ph.D. in antology, you're a myrmecologist, by the way. And uh, you can share that at lunch and that'll get you nothing. But, uh, but long before there were people, there were biologists in the field of myrmecology studying ants, God knew that it's the females that you see doing the work. This, is the, this verb is in the female gender, Hebrew Verb is in the female gender, and it was there specifically. She, uh, there are the queen in any colony. Some of you know there are the queens, and then there are the males, and all they do is tend to the queens, and then the females do all the work, keep the colony going. Well, God knew that thousands of years ago when He wrote this. She gathers. Interesting. Just an aside. You can trust the Bible. The Bible doesn't speak to everything, but when it does speak to something, it's accurate. And so, trust God's word. Trust God's Word. Well, she does this. Uh, she works. You'll discover if you observe the ants. Now let me see your eyes. That your work is a calling. It's not just a job. Nobody has in God's economy just a job. We find in the Christian faith, only in, only in the Jewish faith, in the Christian faith, that we see a God who works. We see work being held as a gift to, to human beings, not a curse. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we find God Himself. First thing we see about God is Him, the God Himself working. Now, in the ancient, to the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, in their Parthenon of the gods, they thought that was ridiculous. Ridiculous that there's a God would... I mean, in, in their mythology... The gods created this substandard race called humans to do all the work so they could loaf around. 
But we see the God of the Bible working. And then we see creating the dirt. Then we see Him with His hands in the dirt creating you and me, human beings. And then when He created the first human beings, Adam and Eve, the first thing He did was give them a job description. He gave them meaningful work to do in the Garden of Eden. And He does so all along. The Scriptures say that when God wraps up time and eternity for you and me and we go step into eternity, we step into eternity, that we will not be sitting around being bored, that we will have jobs, that we will have meaningful work to do for God. So what is that work? Well, write this down. I don't know. I don't know, but, it's, but, that, but that's what we're going to be doing. And I'm, I'm glad. Who wants to be bored? You know, the most boring thing to me is being bored. So great work. Great, great uh, work. So work is held in high esteem. We see God working and man working before sin, human sin, ever entered the world. And God declared all work to be good. This is good. Very, very good. If you observe the ants, you'll see that God has shaped you uniquely. Uh, your spiritual gifts, your, your heart, your passion, the things you're interested in, your natural talents and abilities, your unique personality, the education He's given you, the life experiences He has given to you. He has shaped you uniquely to do meaningful work. And in God's eyes, all honest work is honorable and full of dignity. All, all is. So a follower of Christ can never legitimately say who needs a job, well, I'm not taking that, that's beneath me. What that is, is baloney. There, there, is, no honor, there is no honorable, honest work that is not good for us and that God does not bless. We learn that our, our work is a calling. Your life will transform when you begin to see that it's not an accident that you are working where you are working right now, doing what you are doing. The sovereign God of the universe in these circumstances has, has you doing the work you're doing to do for His glory and for the good of the community. It's more about, we see, our work is more about others than it is us. When we begin to see that, it changes everything. When we see our work is about me providing for my family or, or doing great work so that the other people in my company can keep their jobs and they provide for their family and we provide a great service to the, to the community and to the world so that the world becomes a better place. And God's glorified in that. That's God's view of work. As you observe the ants, you'll see not only that we must uh, learn to be self-motivated, but that our work is a calling. There's no such thing as sacred and secular. It's all, work, all work, all honest work is sacred. Sacred. Whether you're in public service, in the military, in the academy, in the marketplace, uh, in, the, in, in ministry, in the local church... Draw a big circle around it and God writes, sacred calling, sacred calling. Changes everything uh, about how we feel when our feet hit the floor in the morning. A lot of dignity. It's for God, it's for your family, it's for the community. Third thing you're going to learn as you observe the ants here that will help us put off our procrastination is this, that we should prepare for the future. We should do our work in a way that prepares for the future. Look at verse 8. She, or it prepares its provisions, the ant prepares its provisions in summer, gathers its food during harvest. Circle that little verb, Hebrew verb, prepares. This is not just work. It's a Hebrew word that meant to work intentionally 
on the things that matter. Not just hard work, but smart work. He says, if we observe the ants, we see that they do what matters. Uh, when uh, Biologists tell us, if you, as you study an ant colony, first of all, it looks like chaos. But as you keep studying, you'll find there's, no, there's not a bit of chaos in an ant colony. They have a, a, a complex network of paths, roadways. They have a highly complex developed colony under the earth with storage rooms and sleeping rooms and a throne room for the queen or queens. And, um, and they do what matters. You'll never, find, you'll never find a group of ants over here taking a smoke break. You know, you just, you won't. And, and you'll find, you, you won't find them leaning on the shovel. You won't see them over here discussing how they can organize so that they can do the least amount of work and get the most amount of pay. You don't, you don't find that because they're working for the good of the colony, not for themselves. Changes everything. And therefore, they end up having all they need. Having all they need. And so they work on the right things, not the wrong things. There's no wasted effort there. No wasted effort. It's, it's an amazing thing that we see when we witness these. They, they prepare, they do their work, and they work on the right things, and they're doing it to prepare for the future. Works in the summer, gathers its food during the harvest. Um, they put off their procrastination instead and they do what needs to be done when it needs to be done in order to have what they need when they're going to need it in, in the future. Now, let me give an illustration of that. Uh, the other thing, you'll never find a group of ants cramming. I mean, they're not cramming in the harvest. They don't put it off and then... You know, you know how many of you were students? Yeah, some of you were. I mean, you like went to school. Let me put it that way. Anybody here go to school? Good, okay. Anybody here ever cram for a test? Anybody ever do this in college? You say, well, boy, you're coming in for the big exam. You say, hey, you're coming in, you're kind of bleary-eyed, got your coffee, say, hey, we pulled an all-nighter. I mean, you know, what'd you do? Sleep all night, you slacker? And uh, but what they're really doing is saying this. I pulled all-nighter because I was a slacker all semester long. Anybody who brags about pulling an all-nighter, most of them have not done any work the rest of the time. And they're admitting their laziness. This is what C.S. Lewis meant when he said, only lazy people work really hard. And that's what he meant. You, show, you, you look like you're working really hard, but it's really because you were lazy. Uh, but you know, how many of you crammed, ever crammed for a test and you got an A on it? I did. Anybody ever do that? I did. I did. Yeah, sure. So good, good, good. Cramming might work for a test, uh, but it doesn't work in other areas of life. Let's see, I got I called on Bill over here. Bill was raised on a farm in Iowa. Bill, what did y'all raise on your farm? Corn and kids. Okay, that's right. Yeah, how many brothers and sisters? How many kids were there? Yeah, 12. There you go. Corn and kids. But you got to have a lot of kids if you're going to raise a lot of corn. That's what, that's what they tell me. And so, uh, Bill, let me just ask you this. Did, uh, so you were in Iowa, right? They do raise a little corn in Iowa. When, when, is, uh, uh, when do you prepare the fields? What month do you prepare the fields? After, after, after harvest, when do you prepare the fields for the next? In April, okay. Uh, and then when do you do planting? May, planting in May, okay. And then you've got the, the cultivation and the irrigation 
uh, all the way through June and July. When's harvest come? Usually, not, oh, okay, so you're, you're caring for that crop all the way, and then harvest comes in October. Um, I'm just curious, in any one of those years, did your daddy ever lead y'all's family to cram at harvest instead of for, working it all year? No, he didn't, did he? You mean he didn't say, it came time in, in uh, April to prepare the fields. He said, oh, let's, you know, shoot, let's play cards. Let's just not, no, we'll do it late. We get, we, you know, look at all those idiots out there working hard. Y'all having a good time? He didn't do that. Did how about him? How about it came May time to plant the corn? Did he ever say, oh, let's just wait. It, it'll be all right. Never. And, uh. Went fishing every day, June, July, August, September. Is that ever? He didn't ever. And th did it ever come time when he looked and saw people were harvesting and he said, Oh, kids, get out of here and get the tractors out. And it's at midnight and he's cramming, he's, play, he's plowing the fields and preparing the, the deal and then throwing the corn out and then turning on the irrigation. And then the sun's up waiting to see did the crops come up and the corn coming? Cramming doesn't work in farming. No, no. Uh, Allison was telling me that she was out uh, shopping late in the afternoon on Valentine's Day at Publix and that there were a bunch of men there cramming. <laughs> How's that working for you guys? So I'm just saying, does cramming in your love relationship with your spouse work is ignore all year and said, oh, I better, I better lay it on her on, you know, on this one day and woo. And everything's great. Yeah, is, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cramming doesn't work in farming. It doesn't work in relationships. You know, and some of us try to cram spiritually with God. We ignore the spiritual habits that help us draw near to and know better and love our Lord Jesus. And then we come all week long, and then we come on Sunday and say, ooh, I'm, I'm going to get with it here on Sunday or when my life group meets. Or back in our hometown, everybody crammed for God the second week of August. That's when all every church in town did a revival. only time you could get saved in Bremen, Georgia was the second week of August. <clears throat> And so, okay, I'm going to get with it, and then we just ignore it. No, 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 no. You, you all, remember, we're chasing a person. We're not chasing a philosophy. We're developing, a, we're falling in love with a person. Jesus is wisdom. You learn that uh, we prepare for the future. And then when it comes to our money, which is the main context of this passage, if you want to pay for your kid's college, you've got to probably start thinking about it before their 17th birthday. If you want to have saved for retirement, the best time to do so was 20 years ago. You know, the very second best time is today. If, if you want to start learning how to save and so that you've got enough money when you need it for the emergencies, you've got to decide, hey, when you're working your part-time job in college, I'm taking 5% or 2% or whatever, and if it's a nickel, if that's all I'm doing, I'm saving something out of every paycheck over here and I'm not touching it. So that when the crisis comes, when the company folds... When the economy drops out. So you didn't have anything to do with that, but you just suffered from it. And you need what you need when you need it. It's there. That's what he's saying to his son here. Son, 
Look at this slack. You've got to put off your procrastination. And then he gives a warning to the procrastinator. And he says, here's the warning. Look at verse 9, 10 and 11. How long will you stay in your bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? And then he, then he mocks him like this. He's heard him say this. Oh, but just a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, a little folding of the hands uh, to rest, a little nap here, a little nap there. Oh, yeah, he's, I need my sleep. God says he who loves sleep will end up in poverty here. He describes in another place in Proverbs, he says the slacker, I love this, turns on his bed like a creaky door on its hinges. It's like walking into the single guy's dorm at any university at three in the afternoon. About half the campus is asleep. Right? Right? Yeah. 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 Do not love sleep. Do not love sleep. And he says, because if you don't get out of bed and start putting off your procrastination, your poverty will not ease up upon you. He says, poverty, you won't see it coming. Well, I'm, you know, I got a little less, I got a little less, I got a little less. He says, no, no, no. It comes like a robber. Boom, everything's stolen. It comes like a bandit, like an armed man who robs you of everything you have that's important. It comes, boom, just like that. It's a warning. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you having a problem doing with your money and material possessions? Let's just hold it there for a moment. Are you having a problem working hard and working smart and providing for your family and preparing for the future? Or are you putting it, just, are you putting it off? Are you putting it off? Well, then you don't have a, primarily have a knowledge problem. You don't even primarily have an action problem. What you have is a heart problem. You have stopped somewhere chasing after Jesus for doing the right things, being a self-motivator, working hard and working smart, um, preparing for the future. Those are all great things uh, to do. Only problem is, apart from the power of God in our hearts and lives, we will not consistently do that typically. We'll have problems. And so, you may find that you have a heart problem. And I would encourage you to, first of all, fear the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Or to come to faith in Christ to make sure you're pursuing Him because Christ is the one, the wisdom of God, who comes into our hearts and lives, forgives us our sin, pours out His love in our hearts, begins to change our attitude, and, 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 and motivates and enables us to be and do what God wants us to be and do, certainly even in this area of putting off procrastination. So let's pray now. Pray with me. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, take up residence in your life, be your God, secure your eternity, enable you to live this life the way life is intended to be lived, then I would encourage you to pour out your heart to Him now. Just say, Lord, I do believe that You came and died on the cross in my place for my sins, paying the legitimate price for my sin fully so that I don't have to. And so I ask You to apply to me personally what You accomplished 
when you died on the cross and rose from the dead. To the best of my understanding, I ask you to forgive my sin. I commit my life and my eternity into your hands to follow you, to know you. Others of you who are followers of Jesus, but you find you've stopped chasing Him and you're caught up in having problems with money and possessions. You've forgotten the gospel. Turn around and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to chase you, to know you, to pursue intimacy with you is the highest priority of my life. And then you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you motivate and enable me to be and do what you want me to be and do, even in this area of possessions. Thank you, Lord, for hearing these prayers. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.